Mark 7, verse 24. And Lord, we thank you for your precious word. It is the rock. Lord, we hide ourselves in your word. We hide ourselves in who you are and who you've revealed yourself to be through your written word, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace in our life. Give us the capacity to receive what you're saying today so we can be transformed into your likeness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 7, this is from our Life Journal reading. I've got lots of scriptures in Matthew I'm going to share, uh, so just stay in Matthew. Matthew 7, verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is like is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise, the winds beat against that house, it will not collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is a foolish, is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds listening to him were amazed. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. And I love that part. It says the crowds were amazed. Lord, we thank you for this word. So this is Jesus speaking at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He's done all these great sermons that we could do a sermon series on for years and still never really dig into all of it. And he's closing his message with this. Guys, I've given you an option. I've presented life and I've presented what life doesn't look like. You can either build your life around this and have stability or foolishly, you could take my words and fit them into what you've experienced, what you feel, what you think is best, and live in the shifting sands of life. I don't, I'm, a lot of this is going to be a review for us, but I can't express to you enough how important it is that we understand the real authority of God's word. It, it really is so paramount in our generation, my generation, that we're not flippant in, in the way we approach God's word and understand his word. Do you understand that? His word is eternal, is eternal. And I think I've said these things before, so I really apologize. I've got to, I've got to, I've just got to say it again. Did you know that the, the word of God is the most validated document in human history? Do you know there's a process? There's a process where they, they take other documents of history to validate other documents of history. Did you know that? Do you know how many times they've authorized that the, 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 the written word of God is historically accurate? You know how many times they've done that? Over 15,000 times. Over 15,000 times. Every book, Old Testament, New Testament, has been authorized by other documents of antiquity. So they've proven the historical accuracy of the Bible in every book, in every generation, time and time again. It's the most scrutinized literature in human history, and it's stood through every generation. Do you understand that? So do you understand how important it is that we build our life on the Word of God? There was a, an archaeologist born in 18. 50-something, died 1930-something. He was an atheist. His name was Sir William Ramsey, 
he was set and determined to prove to uh, deconstruct the legitimacy of the Bible, and so he set his life to uh, to to prove to Christians how unreliable the Bible was, and so he thought, you know, I can't really disprove the miracles because those are just you know eyewitness uh, testimonies. So you can't disprove those, but what I can do is I can go back into history and I can disprove historical events that were claimed in the Bible that never happened in real life. So you know what book he chose to be his template of, of deconstructing the Bible? Chose the book of Acts. Chose the book of Acts. Isn't that crazy? So this guy set 30 years of his life to deconstruct the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts is one of the most radical books in the New Testament, but it's also one of the most historically thorough books in the New Testament. There's like 92 nations that are represented in the book of Acts. There's uh, different people groups, different cultures, different historical events that happen with kings in the book of Acts. So this really, for him, although he could not disprove the, the t- testimonies of miracle, it made sense to go back and try to disvalidate or invalidate the historical moments of the book of Acts. So he spent 30 years in the Middle East trying to disprove the book of Acts. You know what he found out? There's no uh, discrepancies. He found zero instances where he could take other historical documents of antiquity and disprove the events that were detailed or, or are detailed in the book of Acts. Zero. In fact, before he died, he gave his life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And he wrote in one of his journals that the author of Acts, which was Dr. Luke, right, was probably one of the best historical documentators he had ever read in his entire life. That's, that's the power of the word. Do you understand that? That's the power of building your life on the word of God. But here's the thing. We all have life experiences, don't we? We all have life experiences. And our life experiences try to move us into a place where we define the word of God based on what we've experienced rather than what he says. This is a trap. This is a trap. There's a great commentary, and I can't remember the guy who wrote it, uh, on this um, Matthew 7. And he, he breaks the three uh, elements that attack the house. Who's the house? We're the house. We're building on God's word, the foundation. And he uh, talks about the torrents of rain, right? And he, he akins the torrents of rain uh, to the, the, you know, just the natural, di- or not disasters, but the nas- natural phenomenons of pains and trials that come with living in a fallen world, right? We can't plan for it. They just happen. And, uh, you know, what do we say when, when those sorts of things happen? That was an act of God. Don't we say that? How many of you know that God is not sending destruction to the earth? Not because we feel like he's not, but because his word says he's not, right? And it says the, the, he, he akins the floodwaters or he compares the floodwaters to the current and the pressure rising in culture, right? What do floods do? They, they rise and then they sweep away uh, people. And he makes a comparison of the floodwaters to the... Um, the, the pressures of culture. There's another interesting uh, statistic I read the other day. The, uh, Arizona Christian University put out a research paper. They found that 67% of the, 
of pastors don't believe that the word of God is inerrant. Isn't that crazy? 67% of pastors don't believe that God spoke the word into existence. It's crazy. It gets worse. 20% of Americans believe, uh, only 20% of Americans believe that the word of God is divinely inspired. Can I just suggest that this is not a Christian nation? Can I make that assumption? Just based on these statistics, and I'm not trying to condemn or judge or, or give, you know, I'm not the, you don't have to stand before me on judgment day, praise God, right? That would be bad. But can, can you imagine a culture where 67% of spiritual leaders who claim to be Christians don't even believe that the word of God is divinely inspired? It's crazy, right? Why is that? But be, because they want to, we as people, not they, all of us want to fit God's word into the confines of culture. We want to mash and mold and malign and make his word relevant for culture instead of going into culture with his word and trying to redefine culture based on what he says. See, that's a pressure. It's a real pressure. So you have just the natural disasters of the fallen world. You have the, the pressure of culture around us. And then what was the last one? The winds. And he makes the comparison that the winds are just the, like the attacks of the enemy in your life. How many of you have ever felt like you're being attacked by the enemy? All of us, right? Well, how many of you also know you have authority over him? And if you're standing on the word, you can break his attack off of your life. It's really important you understand that. So, we've got natural disaster. We've got the pressures of culture. We've got attacked by the enemy. That's a lot stacked against us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah you're right, Jerry. It's a lot stacked against us. It's a lot of reasons to give up and quit, isn't there? But how many of you know that quitting is for the world, not for us? Quitting is for the world, not for us. In fact, the, the easiest way to figure out if what you believe is true is through scrutiny. It's through scrutiny. I want to tell you a quick story about a uh, Jehovah Witness that showed up to my house one day. Some of you may have heard this. It's just a wonderful guy, really. I really liked him. Uh, he told me his spiel, listened graciously because, I mean, uh, if you can't listen with an open heart to... to um, contradictory beliefs, maybe you don't actually believe what you believe. If you feel threatened by what other people believe, maybe you don't actually believe what you believe. Right? Yeah, maybe you have to fight for it because you're afraid that you might be living in a lie. Oof. Okay, comes to my house, gives me the spiel, and then I give him my spiel. And all I did was tell him my testimony. Same way I've told you guys my testimony. He graciously listened for like 30 minutes. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. At the end of it, I asked if I could pray for him. Well, how many of you know that Jehovah Witnesses can't let other people pray for them? Right? So he didn't let me do that. We uh, parted ways. The Jehovah's Witnesses have never been back to my house, unfortunately. Uh, I like when they show up. One day, about a year later, I was knocking on doors in a neighborhood in this area. And guess whose door I knocked on? Isn't that crazy? How serendipitous. Knocked on his door, he answers, you remember me? Yeah, I remember you. 
we, you know, we shook hands, we, we small talked, and then I asked him very politely, can we compare and contrast our differings and beliefs? And he said, yes. So we get into it, and how many of you know that Jehovah Witnesses believe in the inspired word of God, but they don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, fully God, fully man, Okay. I asked him, where did he get that? Where, how did he come to that conclusion if he was reading the word? You know what I found out? He wasn't reading the word. <laughs> I know, and we groan and we sigh, but you want to know the truth? How many, how many of us read the word on a consistent basis? Right? How many of us have built our life on the rock? How many of us feel like we can aptly explain why we believe what we believe when scrutiny comes. Better yet, how many of us feel like we've not been pushed over or bowled over when the trials of the world's come? How many of us feel like we can stand strong and stand firm and keep moving forward when the attack of the enemy come? How many of us feel like we're, we're not being pushed by culture and, and being pressured by our peers to do things and live ways we don't want to live because we've been rooted on the word? See, this is the problem is that we don't actually know what we believe because we've not taken time to scrutinize or critique what we believe. We just say yes and nod our head. <laughs> Some of us have been born into Christianity, and so we're Christian. That's going to be a rough day for you on Judgment Day when you stand before him and he says, depart from me, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. That's a tough word, but it's his words, not my, I didn't make that up. I'm not adding anything in. But he's, he's, he's going to look at some who professed him on the outside, but no, had no transformation on the inside. Had no, had no ability to take the word, apply it to their heart, and allow it to, to pull things out of them that were not him. I love how King David says it. He says, create a clean heart in me, O Lord. Create a clean heart in me. And then he ends that psalm by saying, make me believe in you. Wow. How many of us are praying that prayer? God, cleanse my heart of every agenda and motive that is in contradiction to who you say you are and how I am to relate with you. How beautiful is that? Well, remember, why were the people listening to Jesus amazed? Why were they amazed? Because of the authority he spoke in. How many of you know, get your Greek concordance out, how many of you know what that word authority is that Matthew uses in his gospel? It's not just he's in charge. It's, it is he's in charge. But it also has uh, multiple other meanings. It's he has delegated influence. So who is delegating Jesus' influence? The word, God, right? It also means that he was competent. And he had a mastery over what he was saying. Could you imagine that? A preacher who knew what he was talking about? What a miracle. <laughs> but then the, the best part about it, there's, so if you go look, that word authority, it's got multiple meaning. One of the meanings is freedom. Is freedom. Is freedom. Jesus was free. And he spoke freely about freedom. <laughs> See, if you've got dual agenda in your heart, you're not free. If you've got secret motives that you're trying to malign and twist the words with, you're not free. 
And these people could recognize authority on Jesus' life because the words that he spoke brought force to move into change, but also brought freedom to those who would hear and apply. (laughs) I don't know if you realize this, and I'm just talking now, but anything that you're hiding from God's word, anything that you're keeping in your own box away from God's word, away from his fire, away from his refinement, is actually keeping you in a form of bondage. A form of bondage. See, we think, we're like, ah, you know, I, I like the profession of faith. I like the Apostle Creed. I like uh, praying the sinner's prayer. I like all those things, but I don't want it, this part of my life to be touched by his word. It's a secret agenda. It's a hidden motive. See, this is what the Pharisees did. This is why it amazed the people. They had never heard anybody talk in such freedom the way Jesus spoke. There was no hidden agenda. He wasn't trying to get anything from them. He wasn't trying to influence them into anything. He was only offering them freedom if they were willing to receive. Remember later on in in Matthew, uh, there's a Pharisee uh, that comes up to him and says, I'll follow you anywhere. And what does Jesus say to him? Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then another guy comes up and he says, hey, I want to follow you, but I've got to go bury my dad. And what does Jesus say? Let the dead bury the dead. Youch. That's a pretty mean thing to say, Jesus. Well, here's the thing. Jesus wasn't telling them that they could not follow him. They just can't follow him on their terms. Let me try that one more time. Jesus is not telling you that you can't follow him. You just can't follow him on your terms. You just can't make his word fit into your agenda. You can't malign what he said to sound good when you say things. You can't make his word about you. Otherwise, you're not actually following him. You're just trying to manipulate the word into your preferences. (laughs) I'm just... Telling you what Jesus said. This is just his words. So what do we do with the way we feel? Remember that prayer David prayed, making me a clean heart, O Lord. You know, David was actually prophesying back into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, I think, 6. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does that mean? It means that there's pollution on your heart when you're born into this world. You're, you're full of deceit. You're full of experiences that shape, form, and retell you how you should perceive who God is. So you have to be willing to submit yourself to his word, allow his word to wash the windows of your heart, or as Ephesians 1 says, the, the eyes of your heart. Do you know you have eyes in your heart? That's kind of like spooky. <laughs> You got eyes in your heart. That your heart actually creates a lens for how you relate to God. So let me ask you a question. If you had like a mean, overbearing dad growing up, how do you think you're going to see God? As a mean, overbearing dad. If you had a really bad experience in your life and you attribute it to God letting that happen to you, how do you think you're going to relate to God? Like he lets bad things happen to you. Right? So David's actually prophesying about what Jesus is fulfilling We actually have to cry out to him, God, would you clean this junk off of my heart so I can rightly see you and not try to twist and pervert your word to fit my agenda? (laughs) 
One more. We'll close with this. Go to Matthew 8. Matthew 8. This is when Matthew, the author of Matthew, gets called by Jesus. And I love it. And how many of you have ever watched the show The Chosen? I think that's probably one of the best representations of who, who Matthew was or would have looked like. It's all, we don't actually know. It's imagination. But I really love how they present Matthew or Levi, the tax collector. Who was Matthew? He was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. This is where it says Jesus met him. Matthew 8, verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the, oh, I'm reading the wrong one, sorry. Matthew 9. Oh, man. Watch out for the lightning bolts. Matthew 9, verse 9. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to, to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Could you imagine that, just like eating and having a meal and these random guys are just peering into the window and they're asking people, why is Jesus eating with scum? <laughs> when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice. For I have come to call those who, th I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Okay, so Matthew, Levi, is a Hebrew, but he's a tax collector. Who's he collecting taxes for? The Romans. Who's he collecting taxes from? The Jews. How do you think his Jewish brothers and sisters felt about him? Not good. He was probably enemy number one unlikable, didn't get invited to many parties, you know. And one day he's just doing his thing. He had built his life, he had built his entire existence around enriching himself, didn't he? Right? He's just sitting doing his thing and Jesus comes up and with the same authority he had speaking in the Sermon of Mount, with the same freedom, with the same force, with the same delegated influence, he says, Matthew, come and follow me. And Matthew goes, uh, me? Okay. <laughs> no, I think there was a moment there where what happened to those people listening at the Sermon of Mount happened to Matthew. And Matthew's heart is stirred and he sees freedom and he becomes hungry for it. So they go have a party and all the disreputable sinners come, other tax collectors, and the offended people show up. Who are the offended people? Well, the people that Matthew had been collecting taxes from. The Pharisees, see the Pharisees had control over everybody else, but they couldn't control the tax collectors because they were protected by the Roman government. So they come up and they condemn Jesus for eating with Matthew and his new friends. And what does Jesus say to him? <laughs> I didn't come for people who think they're healthy. So if you want your agenda to be what's leading your heart, you're allowed to do that, but I'm not here for you. 
I'm here for those who know they have a corruption and a deceit and a sickness in their heart, and I'm here to bring them freedom. I'm here to bring them a new narrative. I'm here to give them a new agenda. I'm here to show them a new kingdom. And I'm here in force, authority, power, and freedom, and my words affirm it. Let me ask you a question. Who in that situation was in the right? Was it Matthew, the Pharisees, the prostitutes? Who who was in the right? Nobody. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. His words are the only words of life. His words are the only words of authority. doesn't matter what you think, experience. doesn't matter what you've uh, had happen to you in your past. doesn't matter what you believe about God today. His word is the only perfect authoritative word of God. It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what culture is doing. It doesn't matter the, the, the natural disasters you've experienced. It doesn't matter what the enemy is doing. When you build your life on the rock of his word, you won't be shaken. You won't be shaken. See, Matthew was at the beginning of the journey, but the beginning of the journey for him was just to say yes. Was just to say yes. See, some of us, we, we, we've been through things and our yes has waned. You're just sitting in church. You're just doing the church thing because you know it's the right thing to do. Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to just say yes to the things that I'm about. I want you to say yes to me again. I want you to give your heart to me again. I want you to let go of control. I want you to let go of the things you can do to enrich yourself. I want you to just say yes again. Follow me. Follow me. That's what I feel like the call is today, that God wants us to follow him, not according to how we want him to be or need his word to fit in our lives, but wholly, fully surrendered, hearts open wide. Lord, we want your words to change us because your words bring authority. Your words bring freedom. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to pray. And I, I, you know, this is, uh, this is kind of old school and I don't do this all the time, but I just feel a special invitation right now. So if you'll bow your head with me, close your eyes. If you feel like you've just not said yes to Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand. If you feel like you followed him and you've uh, done all the church things, but you've not actually said yes to Jesus, just put your hand up. Nobody's looking. Just me and, and maybe the worship leader, but it's okay. She's, she's full of Holy Spirit. Just raise your hand if you've said yes to him but on your terms. If you've maligned, mashed his word to fit your agenda, just raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just keep your hand up. I know this is strange. I know this is different. But there's freedom for you today. There's freedom for you. In the same way Jesus spoke with authority that brought freedom, Holy Spirit is here today and he's speaking with authority, come follow me. Come follow me. So right now in the name of Jesus, I break whatever in your past has perverted the word of God and the representation of God in your life. I break that now. I declare healing over that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I break the pressure of the world, the, the swirl of culture that pulls this way and that way. Whether, no, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle, whether you think you're right or you think you're left. I break the swirl of culture and I declare the kingdom of God over your mind. I declare your heart to be free. In Jesus' name, 
And right now, I, I feel this very strongly. If you just feel like you're getting beat up by the enemy, I break his attack off your life, off your family now in the name of Jesus. I break it off now. 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 I break it off. I break it off. You're free. Freedom. Freedom. In Jesus' name, we're going to open the altar up. If you need prayer for anything, come forward and receive prayer. But we're just going to worship the Lord for a moment. So, Lord, we thank you for what you've done in here. We thank you for the freedom and the authority. We pray it would only increase in Jesus' name. Amen.